Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Thank you for joining us for another Sports Corner series on JOSPT Insights. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. Rick Gerites, who is the Director of Sports Physical Therapy at the University of Pittsburgh. Rick is a board-certified sports physical therapist. He developed UPIT's sports fellowship program, and he continues to teach within the DPT curriculum. Prior to joining the team at Pitt, he worked for the UPMC Rehabilitation Institute and was the team physical therapist for the Pittsburgh Penguins, including their 2016 and 2017 Stanley Cup championship seasons. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Rick, thank you so much for joining us today on JOSPTA Insights. We are so freaking excited to get into hockey with you. Thanks for making the time for us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So we would love to get started with just what we usually do in Sports Corner. So what are the physiologic demands of hockey? I think it's a sport, unlike many others, that frontal plane strength stability is needed the most. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, sagittal plane things, hamstring strains, ACLs, you know, which, I mean, obviously multi-planar, but with hockey, there's there's so much emphasis on the core and groin, which I think is a little bit different. Probably MCLs, one of the biggest knee injuries you're going to see, and then high ankle sprains more so than than lateral ankle sprains. The high ankle sprain is that because of so you're you're into more dorsiflexion. Wait, you're in a you're in a skate. So how are you getting right. different? Yeah. So and and that was when I started. That was kind of one of the first things I was wondering. Like, wait, you're in this this big stiff rigid boot. Why are you getting ankle sprains? And most of the time, it's it's guys when they crash into the boards and they go feet first and their their blade hits the boards first. So they get that kind of medial high ankle sprain mechanism, you know, gotcha. mostly from contact. So a lot of frontal plane. So frontal plane that's playing out in the hips with a lot of glute strength, I'm guessing. What do we need for like length, strength and range of motion if we're looking at the hip, if we're looking at the knee? Yeah, you, I mean, even at the, the NHL level, a lot more pronounced in the in the lower levels. Like we'll get guys coming up from the minors, and and they're obviously a lot weaker than than the NHL players. But you would find even the ones with the longstanding, you know, the chronic complaints of pain, chronic injuries, repeat offenders, glute strength is really weak, which is surprising because they use they use the glutes so much with the skating stride. Interesting. And then how how about how do like hip flexors and adductors kind of work in there? Honestly, using that hip flexor in a in a concentric and eccentric fashion, and then same thing with the adductors. You get overstretched, overlengthening, overstriding, and then you just put wear and tear on the adductors. And then if you know you throw contact into it, you know if you know two guys battling for a puck, and and like all of a sudden you just get overstretched. It, it's the same as any other muscle strain. And how about cardiovascular demands for people who don't know how exactly the Maybe they don't know understand hockey as much. Can you run through just kind of the cardio demands? How are they switching and substituting in hockey? Third, fourth line offensive players, the forwards, are going to play eight to twelve minutes a game, and then your your top line forwards and you know top one or two pair defensemen, they're going to pay play upwards of eighteen to twenty four, twenty five minutes a game, and it is. Anywhere from 30 to 60 second shifts where it is 
110% intensity X number of times per game, you know, so it, it has a, it, for some players, there's an aerobic component, but it is mostly in, it's those short bursts. It's, it's a big anaerobic component. And then, okay, so the other thing is, is there a difference in position? So I, I, I mean, they're only on for freaking thirty seconds. That's I actually didn't know it was that short. That's wild. To me, they look similar, but please, as the expert, let us know if there's a difference between like offense, defense, the demands, or like how they're moving. Um, and then I know that obviously the goalie is a very different position, and so if you wanted to go in any differences, things that they needed range of motion, strength, uh, that's different from everybody else. Your forwards a lot more are, you know, they're going to, they're going to receive a pass a lot of times and, and they're, they're going, right. They're going forward, a lot of crossing over, you know, crossing right over left, left over right. So you got to be able to do both. Whereas your defensemen are a lot of times they will, they will open up. So they're going to skate backwards a lot. So you've got to then transition from backwards to forwards relatively quickly and there's different ways to do that if somebody's chasing me i've got to spin to turn the other way to then transition from backward to forward so that's a maneuver that you'll work like as part of the rehab process if you're working with a defenseman and my guess is too the change of direction is something that you're going to want to train a lot with these guys and gals too the rink is relatively small and it there seems to be a lot of change of direction as opposed to athletes that are playing on a larger field or like you said athletes that are in a more sagittal playing sport is that something that you take into consideration too if i'm a defenseman or, or even a forward it doesn't matter if there's a turnover and i was skating forward i need to do a hard stop i'm not going to slow down i need a hard stop so i'm going to really turn my skates and my legs sideways hit the brakes ice sprays everywhere and then i've got to push off and go backwards or push off and turn around you know, starts and stops are kind of your one of your last things that you work on because that's as intense as it gets. So rate of force development sounds really important too. Yeah. So you've, you know, do you have the static stability to do it following that injury? So if it is a sprain, you know, can your ankle handle it? Can your knee handle it? And then you need the the dynamic stability, the the rate of force development, like you mentioned. Like can I can I use muscles to slow down accordingly? So if I have some sort of a you know a quad strain. What is it like when I decelerate? So if uh, if you're looking with a field athlete, deceleration is going to be a lot of like a lot of quad load, right? Or a lot of depending if you're changing a lot of directions, there'd be a lot of like frontal plane. It sounds like if you're if you have to turn to be able to do that, you're doing a lot of more hip internal and external rotation to be able to change directions. So do you need more range of motion? Just you have to just have to make sure that they have appropriate range of motion and a decent amount of strength in, in those ways as well. That like transverse plane. Yeah, need a lot of, uh, you know, hip, internal, and external rotation and strength. Having baseline measurements is really important because I need you to get back to your motion. You know, that player that's been in the league for 10 years is going to have different motion than, you know, somebody that's only been in one or two years, right? Just by virtue of age and, and the amount of, you know, changes that have happened over, you know, into the hips throughout a career. So you take into account like who you're treating. There's acute injuries that happen. And then there's also uh, some more like long-term injuries. But for for more like the long-term stuff, that is probably more likely that I would think the, the PTs would see in the clinic. So um, it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of like groin stuff. You mentioned MCL, some hip work. So what are kind of the top things that you saw? I would say uh, groin strains, hamstring strains, FAI symptoms, not guaranteed to be FAI, but pretty much presenting as FAI, labrums, 
MCLs, high ankle sprains, and then kind of the shoulder. If we take those together, what are some really key things that you used in either diagnosis or treatment that was pretty unique to hockey for treating that FAI and groin? Like, again, like considerations that you wouldn't have to take for somebody who's playing soccer. Well, let's not use soccer because soccer is also pretty hip, heavy. Let's say basketball. The introduction of, you know, that hit mode belt and doing lateral distraction, I made a lot of friends. When I was when I was there with the Penguins, there were three athletic trainers, you know, and then I learned, you know, one guy that was there, his main thing he did, he did ART. What I learned from seeing him specifically, if we're talking groins and hamstrings, like increasing soft tissue mobility was was really something that I, I learned from him and, and learned how to implement it in my practice. Stretching is is not enough. And, and a lot of times... As rehab professionals, we're going to kind of poo-poo, just massage. But all of a sudden, when you're doing specific soft tissue mobilizations, you see an effect. And then how about for like an AC sprain? So what kind of, I mean, you're handling that stick. What kind of things are you taking into consideration when you're rehabbing a hockey player with an AC sprain? Probably the biggest thing is going to be, is it your top hand or bottom hand? So if I shoot on the left side my forehand is on on the left side my left hand will be my bottom hand and my right hand will be on the top of the stick okay if i have a left ac joint sprain i am when i skate and i'm not carrying the puck i'm holding the stick in my right hand and my left hand is free if i'm on the boards if i'm along the boards and let's say i'm battling for a puck I'm going to be poking at the puck with the stick in my right hand because that's my top hand. And my left hand is going to be probably bracing against the wall, against the boards. So that becomes now a closed chain situation. So I need to be able to stabilize myself leaning on the boards or pushing on another player. And so now that AC joint is in a closed chain contact situation. So can I handle those forces? And I could be the one initiating the hitting or I could be the one receiving the shit. Can my shoulder handle it? Whereas if it's my right AC joint or shoulder or whatever diagnosis we're going to go with, I'm basically stabbing at this puck and it's becoming a very aggressive open chain exercise. And the same will carry carry over with like if it's a elbow, wrist or hand. Is there a difference in, um, you know, depending on which hand you're shooting with there, as far as like just the degree of horizontal adduction you have to get into? Your top hand will be a lot more. Yeah. So, so if I'm stick handling and I bring the puck to the left, kind of far outside my base of support, my right shoulder, my top hand is now really reaching across my body. Not only the range of motion for horizontal abduction, which can be tough with the clavicular and AC issues, but also they need a lot of force and power throughout that range of motion as well. And so pivoting here, Chelsea mentioned that you had a great piece on returning to skate during your CSM presentation. Can you dive into that a bit? Very similar to how you would gauge a field sport. Are they checking all the boxes ready to do some sort of functional training on the field? Do you want to have them hit like the bare minimum and they do less on the ice when they first go out and you get them out a little earlier? Or do you want to have, all right, let's, let's get you a little better, wait a little bit to get back on the ice and then when you get back on the ice, we can probably progress the on-ice stuff faster. You know, things that play into that, 
are we in a time crunch? Are we trying to, for lack of a better term, speed up the rehab as, as fast as possible? Is it somebody we trust on the ice, which is a big one? You know, so sometimes it's smarter to like, uh, let's let's hold you off for another week. And some guys, it's like, they're going to listen to what we say and we're not going to have to wrestle them off the ice. So they get on there and, and usually that that first day or two is just go out for 10, 15 minutes. And, and we called it a pond skate. You know, it was just go out and stick handle, couple shots, couple passes, nothing, get a feel for the ice. And then we'll start working depending on the position. We'll start with some drills. We'll initially start, can you do circles around the ice? So we're crossing over, you know, can your, your hip muscles, knee, can all of that handle it? And then that circle will get smaller and smaller as they progress. And then now we start really getting into those tight turns. And that process may occur quickly and, or that may take a long time, depending on the injury and depending on the guy. Coming back from running from like ACL, you want to look at quad strength, you want to look at, you know, swelling and range of motion and single leg squat kind of stuff. Are you looking at those same things? Are you looking at anything else that's different for hockey or is that pretty much the same? It's it's pretty much the same. Can they do, can they run? Can they jog off the ice? Can they, can they handle those joint reaction forces? Can they, can they push up? You know, how do they feel? What's pain at, at rest when they come in each morning? What's pain during the exercises? Can they do kind of low level plyos can they handle that you know there's a skater hops that you can do off the ice can you do those because you're going to do a very similar movement on the ice i love that it's a skater hop but it wasn't my first thought of getting back to skating (laughs) so you want to be able to actually do some true running and impact and plyos before you actually get on the ice because that's you have to be able to produce that force on the ice yeah so you're, you know, starting, you're just getting out there, getting comfortable, and then you're trying to move in, you're trying to skate in all different planes of motion, you're trying to work on turns, getting tighter and tighter. And then I'm guessing like ACE excels and D cells after that, anything else that you're, that you, that you like to throw in there and making sure that they can hit? Kind of the, the start, the hard starts and stops are, are what comes last, where a lot of change of direction will throw in a lot of reaction to it as well. You go through the kind of the normal progression of, of planned movements and then, reactionary movements. You're, you're not going to practice just getting destroyed and, and centerized. But one of the last things that we'll do is, is either with a, with a coach, with a, another player, getting in the corner and kind of defending the puck along the boards or somebody's really leaning into you, trying to get the puck from you, and then kind of switching positions and you're trying to get the puck from someone else. So you practice, and whether it's upper or lower extremity, you're practicing taking the hit, but also giving the hit. That's super, super important. Yeah, to get them comfortable with that. Depending on who it is, when it is, et cetera, they'll get cleared to go back to practice in a non-contact situation. You know, so they'll have like a a red penny on and, you know, they'll be able to to do practice at full speed when they work up to it, just no hitting. And then they'll just stay on the ice a little bit extra at the end of practice and then and then do that contact training. And that's usually when the um you kind of get cleared for full practice participation. And then for games, you you become a coach's decision. And so wrapping up here, are there any other clinical pearls or takeaways that you really want listeners to come away with, especially those who are treating hockey players in their outpatient sports clinics? I think one of the most valuable things you can get is that adductor strength in the lengthened position. You're going to learn a lot from that test that you wouldn't pick up when you're testing in the traditional mid-range position. Put them in mid-range and then a stretch position and then test them that's where you're going to pick up everything yeah what position are you doing that in i did it in, in supine basically do a manual muscle test where i would they'd be supine i would take them all the way to end range abduction 
and they would put their ankle right in my hip and I would just kind of brace myself and, and they would have to push into me like as, as hard as they can. No, that, that's a good one. I mean, that classic sideline is, is kind of what people is the go-to, but because it's against gravity, but you are, you're shortened because it's the adductor. So taking that into consideration is important. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and hanging out with us today, sharing your uh, knowledge of hockey. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And so one last big thank you to Dr. Rick Gerites. And as always, thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.